What's up, guys? This is Kari Payton, Cyborg, and King Ezekiel, and whatever else you want to think of. And I'm here with CBS, and you're listening to the Top 5 Comics Podcast. Keep listening. We got a whole lot more coming. Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast. People talking about comics, pop culture, and events. With us this week, we have the Shadow of the Bat, Ross. Hi. We also have Detective CBS. Whose shoes are these and how do I step on this gum? Gumshoe Detective, no. You shouldn't be eating the gum off the shoe. It's nasty. Gum on your shoe is nasty. Yeah, well, Gumshoe Detective, that's, no. I'm the only one. Ah, fine. <laughs> we also have All-Star Rob. Hi. <laughs> There's no way that's an electric position. That's a, oh, it's Batman flavored. What well, it is? Yeah. It's arbitrary. Good job for tiling your own book, Scott Snyder. Oh, oh. an all-star Batman and Robin before. Scott yeah, Snyder. Batman and Robin. It's Frank Miller and it's Jim Lee. It's the same. Whatever. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Comics Podcast. Today we are doing episode number ninety-seven. <laughs> All right. That's, I think I do that every time, after the noise of the thing. Anyway, um, so today we're doing a little different format style, uh, if we have a format. We, I guess we do, because we do things repetitive. Yeah, we, we do the same thing, so that, that would be a format. All right. Yeah, yeah. okay. So, uh, <laughs> with that in mind, today what we're going to do is critiques, rather than books, we're going to do some re- do critiques on the, uh, the Denver Comic Con... So critique episode. Let's go with that. Critique episode. Does that sound right? Is that what I was supposed to say? Sure. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna use our ability to to talk about things to critique things. Ah, good. This time. So, uh, critiquing elements will be uh, the Denver Comic Con 2017, uh, which we actually have an interview um, to run through this episode with uh, Frank Cho. Okay. Nice. We'll run during the end of the show. It's been a good time. And I talked to Frank for quite a few years, actually. It'll be the first time we did a real actual interview with him. So that's, I mean, granted, it's one of our interviews, so it's not like. If you listen to the show, you know what to expect. No, they're good. They're good interviews. He was probably super excited about this Skybound because he got us once before with something like that. Oh, right. Yeah. If he talked about the Skybound, then. Not during the not during the not during the interview. Afterwards, he's like, "I swear it's coming out this week," and I'm like, "All right." I'm surprised he didn't do the same thing he did for Zombie King. The real important page is this page, and then you get there and you're like, "Damn it, Frank. damn it, Frank!" To reference that story, look up an issue uh, by by Mister Mister Frank um, of the Zombie King issue zero. He says the best page, page three. At least that's what he told us. That's been a fair about story. So depending on how often you come to the store, if we see you very often, that would be uh, something you've already heard probably. I'm surprised we haven't talked about it. Yeah, we may have. You never know. Mm-hmm. Anthology style. If you listen to one of these, we may have talked about it. That's true. Anyway, uh, so yeah, we'll run that after we do this, uh, what were we calling this thing? Reviews? Uh, critique. Critiques. There we go. Yeah, um, let's go and start first with a little bit of news from Ross and the doc pile. 
damn it. <laughs> so, um, I didn't get a whole, whole lot of news this week, but DC did announce another crazy crossover. Oh, yeah? They've been on, like, a roll doing these recently. They're doing a crossover of Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy meet Betty and Veronica, Archie style. So the Archie crew? Yep. Man, that's crazy. Yep, being written by Paul Dini and covers by Amanda Connor. Okay. All right. Yeah. It looks pretty crazy. I mean, I mean, it, like anything, I would say crossovers, they've been doing awesome. And as far as doing other things, they've been doing awesome, too, so... Yeah, this whole new rebirth of Archie stuff's actually been really good. Mm-hmm. They did that Predator book that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Afterlife of Archie, great. How that thing's not still going, I don't understand. It is. The Sabrina stuff, it's well... It's going very slowly. <laughs> yeah, indefinitely in suspense. It's going to be like Doctor Who. Well, 18 years of... Afterlife with Archie and get 20 comic books. <laughs> Not okay. They said another one's coming in the near future. I've heard that story before, and then Sabrina showed up yesterday. <laughs> Which is true, because there's a new Sabrina that came out this last week. So, good things there. If you haven't checked them out, you should, because they're Hot actually the werewolf. super good. That was only one issue, and it wasn't even called that. It was awesome, though. Hunger. <laughs> Hunger. Has Man. There, has there been any talk of Bruce Tim doing the interior? for that? No, and they did announce the artist, and I feel really bad, but I don't remember who it is. So, so apparently it wasn't your nemesis. That's fine. I, and his style would make perfect sense for that. It would. Yeah. Paul Dini writing it, it'd make perfect sense. On that note of Bruce Tim, this is also something he's not doing, but it's in his style. They're doing that Batman and Harley Quinn movie right? that's coming out, and he is doing the movie. They're also doing a, a digital comic that's going to tie into the movie. Oh, crazy. They're doing, I guess, two different series. One that's Harley Quinn and Batman. And then after the movie comes out, there's another one that's Batman and Harley Quinn. I think. It's either it's that or it's reversed, name-wise. The other Interesting. Way. But I guess they're tie-ins to the movie. Huh. And they're going to come out digitally, and then they're going to come out as a trade later this year. No, no, he's not directing that. He's not doing the book. He's directing the movie, though. Okay. It's the animated he's doing, but the uh, the art for the or the book itself, I guess he's not. The two no. books. Okay. But the book's art looks exactly like Bruce Tim's art. So All hopefully right. he's not going to get this idea in his head that nobody knows who Harley Quinn is and, like, come up with this whole make-believe story beforehand that's, like, half the film. I don't think so. Um, I hope not, but, I mean, Batman the Killing Joke, I mean... Well, we, given we, the first 15 minutes are questionable. We know who Batgirl is, okay? I don't know why you don't think we do, but we know. Yeah. you're new, Rob. I guess, but I think even new people know who Batgirl is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you threw Azrael in there, okay, yeah, there's some explaining to do. <laughs> Man, that's Can a... Can get the killing joke with Azrael now? That'd be hilarious. That'd awesome. be awesome. It would probably make better sense, although that would be a heck of an explanation for that whole love scene. <laughs> hang on, hang on. You were replacing Azrael or Batgirl with Azrael? Oh, I thought that's what we were doing. No! <laughs> okay. I thought we were adding him to the situation. Oh, I see. Adding oh. him to the story. I didn't realize that we were straight up replacing the casting. I, I was replacing him, too. No, man! <laughs> what? You'll make, make the guy in the library happy. Usually I'm the crazy person. <laughs> what? Man, that's not... Uh, well, no, it'd have to be situationally reversed yeah. in order to make the this, this stigma there. So it'd have to be a lady who liked ladies. Yeah, that way Azrael could be like, oh, don't worry. And she'd be like, girlfriend, 
<laughs> no. Yeah. I, I hate you, but I hope that you find love. Right. Sorry, that's <laughs> terrible. That's basically the way it was. Oh, pretty much. If you haven't seen The Killing Joke, you can skip the first 15 minutes. Yeah. And then just or, pick up there. Or just try right. not to. You know, when you get done with it, and you're like, oh, that's crazy. It doesn't make any sense from what I understand at all. Just try not to think about it that much and, and carry on. <laughs> I think that's the best, best option right there. Although, was, did it bother anybody? I'm sorry, I know we're getting way off topic here, but did it bother anybody else that, like, he had South Park characters get killed by the Joker in there? Like, Kenny was the guy who sells the Joker the amusement park, and it's like, oh, it's I obviously Kenny. <laughs> really? Like, I don't necessarily think they were that hardly touched. I mean, yeah, it's it's referenceable, but I don't think. But maybe it was an accident. You know, I mean, I, I, sadly, if you put anybody in the puffy orange jacket and a green galosh hat, it's going to look like it was probably on purpose. A guy right? from South Park. Oh, I'm sure it was. It's but, probably just more like an Easter egg type thing. Maybe. Or like, here's a Stan or Kennedy. Uh, that'd be. You know, that's a good question, Rob. I guess it's another thing you asked Bruce Timm about and ruin his day. Wow. <laughs> I mean, sadly, the, the only one that you need to is, like, really, you thought that was a musical section? You needed that? Uh, yeah, no, that You guys was... put all your effort towards that? Because was, that was the most well-animated part of the entire show, and I think it was completely unnecessary. Yeah, I'll give you the musical number was questionable. But, I mean, whatever. I mean, it, it is written musically. I didn't experience it musically in my read-through, but... Wow. That's just me. I don't know any, any, if anybody else did. I'm just interested to see what they're going to do with it, because I, I don't know how you make a movie that's Batman, Harley Quinn. I just, I don't. The commercial's good. Yeah, I haven't seen it. So, let's we'll we'll see it. We'll cool. see the commercial. I, I, it might sound like I'm not a big fan of Tim's, but I am. I just, there's, there's stuff that he does that... Well, it's weird. The, the truth, the main truth of the matter is you made a mistake questioning the man. Well, yeah. And like in life, apparently you cannot question Bruce Tim. No, not not without ruining his whole day and then him being mean to other people because of you. Now, I witnessed it, so and Curtis as well. I mean, he full on was mean to everybody else that talked to him because you asked him a question and he his answer for it was terrible, like a terrible question answer. And maybe it was because the movie wasn't doing great. I mean, who knows? It was Red Hood was a great movie. Yeah. So like. I'm, I'm sure just, you know, I'm sure people just come and nitpick all the time, so. Maybe. But yeah, that seems like a general thing with him. You'd think I, he'd have a thicker skin. I've, I've seen other things that he's a part of that it seems like if you ask him a question, he gets irritated very quickly. Yeah. Nevertheless, that's a different story for a different time. It's true. But so, so don't we have more... More news? Uh, well, there's a little bit. I mean, we have some, some sad news came out the other night, uh... So, uh, Joan Lee, Stan Lee's wife, passed away the other evening, uh, on the eve of the release of the new movie, which is really sad, too. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunate. Um, she's attributed to some of the dynamics that he used on certain characters in the books, Madam Webb and Mary Jane. So that's a sad thing for which the Lee household, uh, I don't know, what, what is it, when you, better tidings, better days, I don't know how you... I just, it, just want to pay her it's respect. A, it's a sad her. thing. I mean, the woman is was the, the is is the person next to the guy, and that's a hard place to be in general. That's an unfortunate note, somber note. Um, I felt like there was some other nonsense that was something else that we were going to talk about in there, but now I don't remember what it was. Oh, there there is some 
it, it's very early news right now, but there's going to be a Deadpool animated series that's going to be coming out. Right. Um, and there's somebody who's tied to it. It's, uh, it's been big news on Netflix, I think it is. For is. I'm not sure where the production is supposed to be coming from. but uh, Well, not, not for the show, but the, the guy who's connected to it. That, the TV show Atlanta. Yes, Atlanta. Daniel Glover is supposed to be producing it. That's uh, like pulling teeth from you just now. So Daniel Glover, who's oh, also just, in the Spider-Man movie. He's just producing it? Uh, I don't know exactly what is entailed there. Okay. I, at this point, the way we understand it, he's producing and possibly writing. Um, I don't know enough to know that part of it, but Daniel Glover's the one who's been setting it up and making it happen. So he's going to be heading the Deadpool animated series. Okay. Um, cool note, he's in the Spider-Man movie also. Yeah. Uh, cooler note, in the Spider-Man movie, there's uh, a little reference to who his character is, which if you didn't catch... Um, I guess he doesn't want to kill his things, but... We, we can talk about it when we get to the movie. We get to the movie, right, yeah. yes. So, uh, uh, yeah, we'll skip to the end of that in a second. There, there is actually uh, a little top five podcast news, right? Because didn't we just start a new website and get some new emails for people to get a hold of us? Yes, but that stuff's not completely in the works yet. I mean, the, the okay. website's so it's just there. So next week. So, but as far as, like... Is not in a form where people can use it for anything yet, I don't okay. think. So so we'll just skip that. That's fine. We, we can come back to that later. I guess. Okay. Oh, um, there was some other news in the... This has nothing to do with that at all. So, complete gear shift. Uh, there was some news this morning about Amiral Earhart that showed up. There, Ross? Oh. Is that right? Yes. I like how he nods his head as if these people can I, hear him. I, I heard rumors that there <laughs> might be something, but I haven't heard anything concrete. Well, they, the earliest reports is a batch of photos that have showed up, and uh, they appear to have Amelia Earhart and her co-pilot, uh, whose name I do not remember, because he's not the famous one, um, and what looks like they're playing underneath a tarp being pulled on, a, on the back of another boat. Uh yeah, granted, I mean, it, they are, at this point, they're real photos. What they really have in them, who knows. So it's probably quite possible that the truth of that story has something to do with them winding up uh, in Asia and then being kept there. Maybe. Um, huh. But granted, it's been so many, so much time, it's hard to say what's true about that because these pictures are just now surfaced. So, or surfaced in the media, which is very interesting, I think. But I'm all about that weird, like... Well, I mean, there's a, there's a show right now that is, is talking about that. And so, I mean... I guess it makes sense because of that. Maybe some of the releases of that, yeah. Hmm, interesting. Well, uh, if there's not any other news there, Ross? No. Yeah. Okay, so segueing from the the weird actual reality photos, unless we're living in the Mandela Effect world... Is that like the, the scooter thing that he's standing on? And... The, this is... Say, hey, no, no. That's, the, that's not... A, you don't ride that. Those are also called segways. They are also called segways. You're correct, sir. Yeah. So, yes. Although I don't know how that is, is a thing. I don't know how that name got to be... Yeah, you use it to transition either. from place to place. I guess. Without walking. Okay. Makes sense. I, no, right. it doesn't, but that's all right. And that's the closest that's answer I can look for. There's a whole Weird Al song about it. Where he's riding one. Oh. It's good times. Funny thing about that, his stage show segue, I actually moved once at a show event that I was at. Nice. Yeah, it's good times. Funny thing is, I probably went to that concert, too. I have no doubt in my mind. <laughs> Hilarious. Back to Amelia Earhart. Back, back to Amelia Earhart. Oh, my gosh. 
So this earlier, uh, the, I want to say a couple, either today or yesterday, I can't remember what day it was, uh, we got an email from uh, some of the folks over at Image with a, uh, a preview for a new book uh, coming out in about two months. Uh, I want to say middle of, I think it's the middle of August, the first issue comes out, um, called Elsewhere. And uh, uh, it's being written by Jay Farber, and the art is by Sume Kestian. Kate Keeston. I'm sorry about the pronunciation. I really have no idea how to pronounce your name. Uh, it's K-E-S-I-G-I-N. Keshton? I think that's right. That sounds right. We'll Anyhow. We'll figure it out eventually. Right. I'm sure <laughs> eventually we'll get an email about it with the pronunciation breakdown, because that's happened before. Thank you, Jim Zub. Yeah. Um, so, actually, thank you. No, that wasn't like a... Yeah, no. that wasn't underhanded. Kind of, that was like no. If you, if you could help us with it all, Heck then yeah. that'd be great. It's definitely appreciate. <laughs> you can tell me when you come on the show. Job. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, we'd, we'd be awesome to have an interview. With oh yeah, Jim's Jim. up. Be yeah, great. That'd be great. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, Jim, if you're free, uh, that'd be awesome, buddy. <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, elsewhere, so set up for this book. Like, I don't want to give since it's got time before it comes out. I, I want to say maybe the main reason they sent us preview stuff for it, it is to help hype the book. So I've actually got to read issue one and two, both. And the cliffhanger at the end of issue one is, it hits all the right spots for me. Like, I like weird time travel, alternate history nonsense, or awesomeness, depending on who you ask. So, like, where it hits, for me, I'm like, this is great. And even issue two's, like, lead in, I think it's great. So I'm super more pumped about it than I was when I first saw the initial write-up for number one. So the write-up wasn't bad, I just was like, okay, alternate history, blah, blah, blah. But because of the way it works, like I definitely dig it. As far as art's concerned, the covers are really cool. As far as the like character designs, I mean, it's Amelia Hart looks like I think Amelia Hart look if she was a comic book. Nice. So that's really cool. What's oh, okay. what's the basic idea of so, the book? So the basic concept of it is that rather than Amelia just disappearing into the ocean or into Asia, the idea is that she was sucked into an alternate dimension or an alternate time. Uh, in place. Nice. As far as explanation, think Langoliers, like how reality sort of unfolds. So I don't know how deep it's going to get in that part of things, mm-hmm. but, I mean, short and short narrow of it is her and her co-pilot, Bell, the plane to not die in the crash, mm-hmm. and are sucked into what appears to be an alternate dimension, and they are not the only ones there. And that's, like, the short part of that. Nice. Which, which if you're, if you're an Art Bell fan... Uh, I mean, there's been there's been supposed cases of this happening before, where people have fallen into an alternate reality. So I, it's kind of cool that they're that they're doing something with it. I I didn't realize that was where the connection was until now, though. So. Oh right. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I haven't got a chance to preview that. So. No, yeah, no, understandable. I, I think I'm only one of the groups that's really got to read it. Um. So. What do you think they're trying to like express with this? Is this, is this kind of just like an adventure book, or is it a mystery book, or what, what does it feel like to you? It's a little bit of both. I mean, we've got we definitely have the the alternate timeline thing going on, and as far as reality, like explaining what happened with reality, because at least one of the other characters we 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 wind up meeting in the book, we also have a complete mystery about what happened to them. So mystery in the fact that there's no true answer to Mary Hart at this point. And if these pictures that just surfaced, surprisingly enough, this last week, wind up being the real story and it winds up being true, 
Well, I mean, then I guess we have an answer. But up to this point, for the past 50 years, there's been no actual answer. I think it'll be hard to prove that that's... Oh, yeah, for sure. Too, You've so. seen the pictures. I'm sure they're on the Internet now. There's no doubt that they are. And while they are questionable as far as what you believe you're seeing, is it you were told that's what it is, so that's what you're seeing? Mm-hmm. Because it, it, they look pretty legit, and apparently they're real photos, so they're not doctored, at least from what tests have been run, I guess. Yeah. So we have to take it on the word of what was said on you know on the news channel with it, or the, the couple broadcasts for it, but we only take it at face value, so it's no different than like anything else. Shrouded Turin, is it Jesus? I don't know. All these people say yes, and then a bunch of other people are like, no, no. Yeah. Alien spaceship. <laughs> Which, how that fits, I don't really understand. Because it's shaped like a dude, so whatever. Anyway. With that book, Steve. Yes. But who would you recommend that book to? Oh, man. So as far as, like, readers, any, anybody who likes uh, Manifest Destiny would like it. Um, anybody that likes, uh, like, conspiracy-driven type books would be probably, probably be into it. Um, it is fantasy, like, storyline-wise. So not like Knights in Armor, but we definitely have that going on also. So this alternate reality, the way it's shaped up, it seems to be very futile style, but as far as humans, while our other characters are humanoid, they're not humans. So I guess if you're reading, like, Birthright, and you like the fantasy element rather than the reality element, then they'd be good for you. Nice. Um it just as far as that goes, I mean, it's like, I'm trying to think of a movie that would be similar to, and the only thing I can think of is, like, Army of Darkness, but that's not a good example. <laughs> like, it really isn't. Because when he drops back in the past, he's in the actual past just full of deadites. Mm. Whereas she drops clearly is another reality, unless it's somehow tied to the regular reality just at a different time. Which yeah. I guess is possible, too. I mean, we there's not enough in those first two issues to have it ironed out for that. But as far as, like, style of book or people that would be into it, if you like action adventure, you'll be into it. If you read Half Past Danger, you'd like it. Um, anything where history comes into question, because it, is it possible? Yeah, of course it is. Nice. So, as far as, like, the reality is concerned, if you have any conspiracy theorist in you at all, then yes, you probably dig it. God forbid you believe in the Mandela effect, then your whole world's broken different. That's my problem. <laughs> but, for me, it fires on all, like, gauges. And I like weird time travel history nonsense. No idea if it's going to be time travel or not, but as far as, like, alternate reality, definitely yeah. is. Nice. So, I, I guess you could think, if you were from the 80s, you think Beastmaster Movie 3? <laughs> okay. Which, yeah, if you're not from the 80s, enough. and you didn't see Beastmaster, that doesn't help you at all. Like, literally at all. Like, probably but, like, there's dragon creatures, there's all kinds of crazy weird technology stuff, nice. and then, like, there's the history element to it, too. And, like, like I said, the end catch, the first issue's end catch, I was like, holy crap, I'm in. That's cool. Because, like, for me, it hit every cylinder that I'm like, this is awesome. Nice. So, yeah. Anyway, so I highly recommend it. That's, uh, I don't want to say more about it because I'm super pumped. So Rob and I haven't read it, obviously. No. What would you rate it, though? Oh, if I was going to give it a score, man, like at this point, the two, two issues together, I'm going to rate them a four and a half from, just from me. That's because it hits all the things I like. You know, I like alternate reality. I like dragons and monsters and crazy, like, evil empire stuff. So, for me, it hits a lot of the cylinders I like. As far as, like, 
didn't pan out for it. I mean, I don't know. It's two issues in from what I've read. And I'm like, where's issue three? Because as soon as I read the issue one end, I was like, why did they email me both issues? And I read the first issue and I got the end of issue one. I'm like, oh, thank God there's a second issue. (laughs) So, like, if that says anything, then I I like it a lot. Nice. To quote Jim Carrey from that one movie where he says it all stupid. (laughs) But, nevertheless, like I did, I get to the end of the first issue. I'm like, holy crap. I'm like, that's why they sent the second issue. Awesome. That's awesome. So, yeah, I was pretty, pretty happy about it. That's way so, cool. So, yeah. Anyway, the first issue is coming out. There's at least three covers for the first issue. Um, they recently announced a Jonathan Hickman design cover. And uh, I saw an image of that, and it, it looks cool to me, too. So as far as, like, stores, at this point, you can still get your store to order the third cover, because it just got announced probably Wednesday, maybe? Anyway, so yeah, if you're not a store like us that's going to have copies anyway, um, or you want copies, you should say something, because otherwise you're just going to get whatever. Or not at all. It's a good possibility. Barren is the wasteland, and famine is the supper. Does that make sense? No? I thought there was words in there that would fit together and make more sense, but I guess they don't. <laughs> eh, okay, well, let's uh, let's move on to uh, another topic, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I would strongly suggest that's where Elseworld... Um, super awesome. Totally, nice. totally into it. Jay, awesome story. Super cool. So we want to talk about, uh, want to talk about Denver Comic Con, Rob? Sure. Yeah, as a, as a part of the podcast for Denver Comic Con, definitely had a weird layout this year. And you could definitely feel the, like, attempts for more security, I guess. Well, I feel like they did a pretty good job having the, like, as far as security is concerned, you could definitely feel the heightened presence of uh, PD, like, police department. Yeah, the, the presence was much higher there. Yeah. And as far as, like, them just being there, that definitely made for, like, a more secure feeling. And all the, at least all the guys I ran into that were out there doing stuff all seemed to be enjoying what they were doing, too. So I thought that was really cool. And not, like, feeling like the teacher and the parent in the room, which you kind of kind of get from that. I didn't get that for a minute at all. So, in the grand, I'm sure other people had other experiences, but the experiences I had were all great. And, I mean, as far as, like, people are concerned, I feel like if they're able to enjoy it, too, a little bit, then it's all right. So, nice. I thought that was really cool. Um, layout was definitely weird. Like, the feng shui of the, of the event was weird to share. And if you've been to the event before, then the layout you usually expect is entrance into the building, and then you have... Trinkets, uh, t-shirts, action figures type stuff that leads you into comic books, which leads you into artists, which leads you into celebrities. So no matter what you're there for, you have like a path to get between A and B. And the celebrity areas at the back where they have giant booths set up to see whoever your celebrity is or get your photo taken with. I think that's a pretty good setup because if you're not there for celebrities at all, as soon as you get to that area, you know that you're at the end of your show. This year, the way the layout worked... I remember at least once or twice hearing people say, where are the comic books in this show? And I thought, man, that's weird. Because it's Comic-Con. So, what are you doing? <laughs> so that part was definitely weird. Yeah, and artists and writers and stuff in two separate areas that didn't really connect very well. And... Well, and the, the way the way the Feng Shui kind of worked this time around, like the entrance led right to celebrities. And then from there, you filtered through the rest of it. And granted, you hit artists before you got the comic books, which I guess is okay. But as far as, like, the setup, you're right. There, We had two different sections of artists. Uh, all the celebrities were in the same area. The comic books were basically in the same area, I guess. 
But as far as the rest of it, it was it was just a weird layout. I don't think I killed the show by any means. I mean, it was really fun talking to the people they had. They had a good selection of people. I mean, I'll say who were some cool people you talked to. Like as far as people that were there, uh, Matteo Scalera was there, uh, which we actually have an interview with him also that we're going to run later on in one of our upcoming episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chad Harden was there. The Sujiks both were there. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Steven, uh, oh, I can't remember her name. Steve, oh, Steven, cool. Steven Shijik, and then, uh, I don't remember what her, I don't remember what the wife's name is. So I'm sorry about that. It'll come to you probably. That's a terrible months. thing to say because she's also an artist and writer too, yeah. so me calling her the wife is not very polite. <laughs> so the Sijiks, let's go with that. The Sijiks were both there. That was really cool. Uh, Jody Hauser is there. She's currently nominated for a Eisner Award for Faith. So that's really cool. So I guess we'll see it after San Diego that announcement should come out. Cause I think the actual voting is in San Diego, I think. Um, but yeah, as far as like artist writer types, I mean Jody's a writer, but she's currently nominated for one of the bigger awards, which is really cool. She's also doing Mother Panic for DC, and she's got about her own stuff that she did before all that. So that was really cool that she was there. Um, Humberto Ramos was there, great yeah. guy. Um, Frank Cho, also great guy. Yeah. Uh, JVD was there. Jessica Van Damsel. Oh, okay. She's fantastic. It doesn't matter what you think. She's fantastic. Super nice. Awesome lady. Uh, shoot. Uh, Who was your favorite person to talk to, you see? That's a trick question, because I think I just said the name. <laughs> I just, just a minute. Some like, just, some of... Matteo Scalera actually was my favorite this year. Nice. Matt, Matteo, because the dude's just so genuine and awesome. Like, he's so fun. That, like, he's he's Italian. Uh, and like he, we started talking about like him coming up and what he used to look, some of it's in the interview and some of it's not. Um, but we started talking about like people that he followed when he was a kid and like being from where he's from, he was surrounded by all kinds of different art. Cause like there's art from France and arts from, uh, from England and just like where he was, it was like a melting pot for him what he got to see. Anime, um, manga, all kinds of different art styles all like in the same area. And granted, it's, it's limited the amount of each type, but because all of it's there because of the kind of play, kind of area he grew up in. Mm. All that influenced him. Whereas, like here in the West, well, we have similar influences, but we don't have that like English. We don't have, we style have the broadest spectrum. Because even French artists, yeah, French was something that he got when he was a kid. And like for us, the grand here in the West is getting to be less are getting to be more, there's more variety now than there was. Mm. So like whenever we were all kids, like you, you had your Jack Kirby's in your, uh, well, man, us kids, cause Jack Kirby's even farther back. It's too far back. I mean, there, there was your the... Tom McFarlane's, your Rob Layfield's, your Steve Platt, if you guys remember him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what's the guy that Humberto was talking about that we all were like, yeah, that guy's awesome. Uh, Art. Adams? Arthur Adams. Yeah. Um, you know, like, as far as... There's plenty of artists we've talked about multiple times on the show. But, like, those guys were, like, 80s awesome artists. You know, like, guys that were great in the 80s. But here we didn't have that same influence. Like, there were French books available, but they weren't in the same mainstream. And, like, manga or anime wasn't nearly what it was or, or is now yeah. back then. Like, we had to hunt for it. And the grand, now the internet happened and became a giant thing, so the world's totally different. But, like... Where he was, the influences around him were very, I, I would say, sort of unique. And that was really cool to talk to him about that. He's just a funny guy. Like, he was, he was fun to talk to him. I'm really glad I got a chance to talk to him this year. Nice. So. Well, there was also the, the big push for the, the Marvel way. Right. That was like a, a big teaching book because that was what was expected for you as a comic artist. 
if you were growing up in that area and you wanted to be a part of it, you, you got the Marvel Way book, and that's how you made the work. Uh, which led to a lot of artists in the 90s having a very similar style, and so when Image really blew up, it was all the guys that weren't doing the Marvel Way. Right. But, yeah, we we kind of take for granted that we see all that stuff, but we really still don't see a lot of art from, like, Ireland and England and France and Germany and whatnot, and they all have a little bit of a different style. That's true. You know? I, that's why we're getting so many artists from Spain now and getting artists from Europe and, and this and that. Is they, they have a style that we just never have seen. Right. That's true. Yeah, I think he was probably my favorite to talk to at the show. I mean, as far as other folks... Uh, they, Tim's was there. Um, and there's a whole handful of other folks that are super impressive that I just didn't have the time to talk to because there's so many options. Nice. Uh, Art Balbazar, uh, who's a great guy too. Mm-hmm. Um, super, like you talked to him a couple of, like last yeah, year you talked to him, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like people wise, there, there's a fair amount of Marvel DC image and independence as well. Uh, Jay Lee was there. Uh, just, just another name that's like a popular artist also. So as far as like people are concerned, they have a pretty good selection of artists there. Um, I think of the group, the, Matero probably be my favorite comic book wise. Um, celebrity wise, uh, that would easily be Carrie Payton. Nice, I was going to ask because he's him. fantastic um, and like a really genuinely amazing guy. Like I mean, you and me have talked. So a few years back, for those of you who don't know, uh, if you don't know. The second two years, the year two and year three of the Denver Comic Con, Terry Payton, prior to his Walking Dead fame, came and did their MCing for the costume contest. And I think that was the first year, wasn't was it? it? Was it the first it year? The very first year? It might have been. I feel like it was the second two. Well, it was the first two years. the second maybe. one, too, yeah. Yeah, so maybe the first or second year. And uh, just awesome dude all around. Like, this year, so it's, to recant a story, I guess. Is that what we're supposed to be doing? Sure. Sort of, yeah. Ross is like, go ahead. So while I was standing, while, while I was waiting to talk to Carrie, um, so he had a man. He had a giant line of people, which I mean, that's what happens, and that's how that stuff works. But like, he took time with every single person, which I was amazed by, because a lot of them they're so in a mindset of just getting through the line that they don't. Yeah, assembly like, line style. Not just time with me for being there because we know him, but mm. because. Just it didn't matter who they were, like yeah. people wise. It wasn't just me that got time; it was everybody got time. And like there was a couple that was that I was standing sort of behind, waiting to talk when I was when I was waiting, and they had their infant child with them, like Super maybe helpful, maybe though. one years old, maybe. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Oh, is it all right if I, if I hold the baby?" And so like mom picks up the baby and he's holding her, and he turns around, and looks at the line, he's like, "Shh, everybody, shush! It's nap time." <laughs> and he, like, pats, pats her on the back, and he's, and he's just, like, such a cute baby. And he's whispering the whole time, and the whole line went quieter. Nice. Like, surprisingly. And I'm like, man, like, how awesome is that? This yeah, is really awesome. Cool. Reminds me of, of last year when we got our pictures taken. Oh, right. the family before us. Yeah, so. with uh, John Reese Davies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super awesome. Like, just the way, the way he dealt with the little kid mm-hmm. and the stroller, that was... Awesome. Like, same thing with, with Carrie. And even after I got done catching up, the, uh, there was a, a like, a, I don't know, it must have been a two-year-old. Like, not old enough to talk, but not, I can't tell you age-wise, because all I can tell you is how tall the kid was. Mm-hmm. But, like, very similar thing. The kid, it was, it was a girl, and she was dressed like as Captain America. And so, 
of course, mom and dad wanted to have her, oh, can we take a picture with our daughter? And he's like, oh, yeah, for sure. And he held her up, and he's like, have you been having fun? And she's like, oh, yeah. And he's like, what's the best thing you've seen? And so she starts telling him about the best thing she saw and waving her fingers around, trying to show him where he should go and what he should see. And, like, this whole time, he's just, like, completely into it. That's and cool. he's got kids and stuff, so, I mean, the dude yeah. understands, but just to have that level of, like, mentality and still be, like, this uber-famous now dude. Yeah. Very awesome. It's way cool how nice most of those people are. Right. Like, I remember even, uh, like, I didn't get to see him this year, but previous years, we went and saw him, and it amazed me that he remembered us from oh, Gary? the year before. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And trying to get him to sign an Aqualad thing, and we didn't have anything. Right. And, Next year we came back with something. He's like, "Oh yeah, I remember you guys." Right, it was cool. Yeah, no, like being a really genuine, awesome person. Like he, he definitely is a winner in my book as far as that goes. I, yeah, he's definitely awesome. So like that was really cool. Um, I think those two parts, parts, parts were probably the best parts for me at least. I mean, show wise, there's a lot of cool stuff, a lot of cool people. Um, in general, I think people had a lot of fun. I mean, I think the only nice. thing that was really weird. The entrance stuff was weird, but I think whatever's going on with the convention center is because of that. That doesn't have anything to do with the folks putting on the show. All the volunteers I dealt with all seemed to know what they were doing, and, like, that was super helpful. You know, as, as of this whole heightened era of, like, security? weird security, I guess, I mean, there'll be bumps in the road. I mean, nobody expected the dude to break into the other con in Phoenix, so it, it's just something that happens and makes the rest of the world have to change because of crazy people. Yeah. Or crazier people. So overall, like, we would score books. If, if, if we would score the, the show on a one to five Correct. scale that we Correct. normally do. You got one more piece Can in there, Rob? Yeah. I mean, you had a lot of people that, that, that you got and talked to that were, that were awesome. I, yeah. I had one that surprised me, like, how, how incredibly cool and how approachable he was. Ian Flynn was somebody that I did an interview with. Oh, nice. Who's been a part of Sonic for a long, long time now. Mm-hmm. And Ian Flynn is, Incredibly legit as as a person. Um, we're gonna have an interview with him, but kind of the stuff that he he was talking to me about his his interaction with Sonic and like how it's affected his life has gone way beyond the comics. Like he was telling me a story about meeting his significant other through uh, his his time with Sonic and actually being married from fans of Sonic and just like he's he's a guy who really gets like it's great that I get to do what I'm doing and it's still great that I get to do what I'm doing. And just like you were talking about with Carrie Payton, he's big on the idea that like you came all this way to see me and that's the best feeling ever. Right. Is that's that you cool. really took that time to come and see me. And he's a legitimately funny individual. We had this whole thing that's not recorded at all. Um, we had a lady who was walking past us and she like dropped her change on the floor and it was a quarter. And I looked down and I stopped it and I looked up and she was gone. Uh-huh. And I pick up the quarter and I'm like, hey, did somebody drop their quarter? And these people who just, just walked past were like, oh yeah, this lady dropped it. She just looked at it and walked away. I was like, oh, I can't let that kind of stuff go. It's a quarter. And he turns, he's, you know, across the, the counter from us and he's like, yeah, no, no, I can't even stop to like let pennies go. <laughs> Here at the end of the show, I just go and find fountains and I pick all the stuff up and put it back. <laughs> That way, I don't have to. I don't have to survive off a of canned meat this week, you know. <laughs> it was it was just hilarious because he was so funny about how he was going through it. It's, cool. it's hard to ex- relay that story as funny as it was when it was happening, but uh, it was it was a neat experience. And he, it wasn't exactly what I expected, 
for him to be quite quite so personal and so funny. But yeah, uh, he's cool. super cool. So. Okay. And he's definitely the Sonic guy too. Like, oh yeah. Like and and hopefully hopefully you learn something new when you when you hear this interview because it was it was really neat. I I always enjoy listening to people who talk about like how they got into this biz, and he talks a bit about the differences between writing a regular story and writing a comic book and and how cool nice. that's. That's cool. Yeah, I'm excited to hear that one. Yeah, he was he was really neat. So cool. Okay, this is score for score for the Denver Comic Con 2017. Yeah. Oh man. Well, let's see. Overall score. I mean, I have to give it. I have to give it a four. It was it was a fun show. There's a lot of cool things that happen. A lot of cool things to see. A lot of good people to talk to. Overall, the overall event does not disappoint. I still rate it above Salt Lake simply because of the comic books. Where Salt Lake's much less on the comic book feel. So, between the two of them, if you're going for comics, Denver's the better choice. Uh, as far as shows are concerned, yeah, I guess I give it a four. I don't know. There's a lot of elements to take in there, and like, <laughs> the layout thing really, really bugged me, but it, it bugged a lot of people, and, but it's hard to say why that happened. Yeah. It was because of other events being rented out at the venue, or it's because the venue. Had other things planned the same weekend? Is it because of security weirdness and we're trying to make it work better? It's hard to say exactly why. But that piece, that that was the only piece I really was like, really? This is uh, out of hand. Yeah. The rest of it was good, though. Nice. As far as, like, shows, I, I don't think... Most things started on time. I mean, there were a few cancellations of guests. So, I mean, a couple of those were disappointing. But it doesn't kill the show. So, I give it a four. Nice. What do you think, Rob? You know what? I, I'd follow suit. I'd still give it a four. I... I feel like the caliber of people that they bring out is really nice. To still not have a big DC booth and a big Marvel booth, you have so much talent that right. comes into that show. That's true. And it's very accessible talent. You can come up to people from all the different walks of comics, from from indie to professional to inkers to writers to people making yarn creatures. That <laughs> and, and a lot of them are just so open and don't have that kind of muscle guy there who's like, no, no, their time's too valuable for you, which I, I think is great. And, and honestly, like this year, they they had a, a pretty good, like, uh, I don't know how to describe it, I guess a dry erase board that actually said, like, this is when people are going to be at panels and stuff. So oh, you nice. can kind of know, like, if you came to this table and nobody's there, that's where they're at. Nice, that's cool. You know, and kind of give you an idea of how often or how available they were, but what, what I still love about Denver is that the people are still so available. Yeah. You know, to, to come up to and, and get with. And there's not usually a lot of people that are there for one day or only X number of hours. You know, most of them are going to be there for most of the show, if not the entire show. Nice. That's awesome. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. Good times. Yeah. Good times. Whereas they're, like, like from San Diego... Uh, which is a show I love, but you know, if you if you were going there for a certain artist, it's kind of rough sometimes. And it can be, yeah, that's true. And the artist alley that they have in San Diego, even though it's packed with like big all star people, it's like desks at school. Like everyone is jammed together, so it's really hard to be approachable to some of these guys. Yeah, the space you're allowed is very different. Yeah, if you got like three friends. It looks like you're mobbing the artist, <laughs> right? You know, whereas whereas in Denver you still have some space, which is nice. 
I don't know if that makes any sense. If you've been to shows, I think it probably does. Yeah. If you have never been to a show, then you're like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Move on to the next topic. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll show you a topic. A little cream? No, that's something different? Okay. <laughs> so, what else were we going to talk about? This? Spider-Man. Yes, Spider-Man's Homecoming. Homecoming. Yes. It's a movie. As opposed, the other day. as opposed to the other Spider-Mans. <laughs> Which were not coming home, apparently. No. Yes. So, I guess the big thing to start with is... Look, most people should know this, but we're just going to... I got to feel like I have to throw it out. Timeline. Okay? This this Spider-Man does not connect to Tobey Maguire. It doesn't connect to... Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield. It doesn't connect to the electric company. It doesn't connect to anything else. Right. This is the first Sony slash Marvel, actually in the Marvel Universe, Spider-Man movie. The only film this connects to is Captain America 3. The Civil War. Um, which, and they iron out pretty good where it fits in oh, the world. They, they do... Amazingly well, actually. This film is so smart. As, as a comic fan film, it is kind of amazing. But it's, it's really important people kind of get that idea in your head. You do not go to this thinking that you're going to see a continuation of those other films. Do not rack your brain trying to make this work. It doesn't work. It's its own, it's its own new beginning. And for those people who are going, oh, I don't want to see Pete get mad again, this is not a retail origin story. They nope. just decided, you know the origin, let's nice. move on. Get on down the road. Awesome. Let's, let's just get with this movie. And it is jam-packed. Like I said, I mean, I, the film is so smart, it, it fills just about every inch of, of, of each frame with just kind of, just, just smart planning. Like, there's moments where, okay, I, I was talking, with this, uh, talking about this after we left the theater, but there's a point where he's sneaking into his room, and they focus on him getting through the window, and they focus on him being on the ceiling, and they focus on him closing the door real carefully... And then they reveal that somebody's already there. But it was done so well, you never kind of go, alright, well, isn't that coming? Because it was just, it's done so well to make that transition work. And it's not just even the cinematography that's done so well. There's so many great little Easter eggs that are put in for Marvel fans that just kind of makes sense in the overall theme of the world. Right. The way it all fits together is done pretty well. And uh, there was actually something that I, I, I hadn't even thought about until we were well past the film. One of the things I think that was so great about the film, which is that we actually don't ever have Pete say is his most notable line. You know, with, with the great power comes great responsibility. It's not actually said in the entire film. Nice. But the entire film is with great power comes great responsibility. It yeah. is... The whole, if there was one thing that you could make a metaphor for the entire film, it is that. That's cool. It is that actions have consequences and that you have to deal with those. And that nothing that gets done is is ever just rock'em sock'em and it's over. Yeah. You know, the things that people complained about Superman and Man of Steel for, with the mm. torn up city, this film looks at that in a closer light. Nice. And it doesn't just say, oh, well, you know, the situation's over, so there's no consequences. Well, there is consequences. And this film is about those consequences. That's cool. I think. I like that, that you get, like, the action speak louder than words type thing going I, on I, there. 
I really think so myself. That's cool. I think that's like one of the biggest complaints about when, they, especially when they reboot superhero movies, is that a they retell the origin, and b they would harp on that same thing that you already know and repeat it to you over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome that they didn't do that at all. Still made it known that that's what was going on. Well, yeah, without more having a, to tell you that over and yeah, over again. Yeah, it's more of a tone to the whole movie is what it is. Yeah, that's like, cool. Being that it's the tone, and yeah, it'd be easy to miss, I guess, but at the same time, if you know anything about Spider-Man, it's plain that's what's happening. I, that's I awesome. didn't even think about it until I left, and I went, oh, yes, they never even said that. And then I started thinking about the whole film, and I'm like, he said it the entire movie. Yeah. They just never even had to say it to you no, because it's there. Cool. That's perfect. Yeah, it's fairly, very impressive. Uh, the kid's great. Like, he's an awesome Spider-Man. Like, he's, the main problems we had with most of the other movies is that we had Tobey Maguire, which was a good Peter Parker, but not a great Spider-Man. And you had Andrew Garfield, who was a great Spider-Man, but not a great Peter Parker. And, like, he does a good job of both. Nice. Yeah. Like, the way he comes across is, is very believable as, like, a science nerd type. Nice. I mean, it might just help that he's age-wise, he's as young as he is, really. I was going to say, he's about the right age, too, right? Like, right. Because they were both a little bit older. They were. And playing a younger part, but just in general. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, maybe that's just the piece that makes it fit better, is that. But I feel like his his Parker and his Spider-Man are both believable. Yeah. I, I think the trick was... They... The director used such a great amount of restraint. And he uses it not only in not only in how we say Pete's smart, but in a lot of his movements as well. So like let's let's go with the smart side, right? In the other films, um, they they really like to quote CinemaSins have an orgy of evidence that he's a smart guy. Look at this, he's got like DNA on his table or whatever. This one they, they really just they bring it up only a couple of times that he's just not paying attention in class, but he already knows the answer to whatever the situation is. He's off in shop class doing things that he shouldn't probably be doing. He's over here in chemistry working on his web fluid. So, like, you see that stuff without it going, oh, look, he's smart. Look, he's smart. He's, he's, he's got to be really smart. Like, they, they don't throw that in your face over and over and over again. Oh, by the way, he's smart. And I think it works so much better that that's the case. Yeah, it was more montage style than it was plain in sight kind of things. Like, they did, they did do a good job with that. The stuff with mixing the fluid was really awesome. Yeah. Like, the way he hid things. You see he's flawed, but at the same time, like, the way he, he hides things for later use is pretty impressive, too. Yeah. Yeah, well, they were smart about what they what they did with it. Um, right. For me, the other thing that was great restraint, and I use the analogy with Christopher Reed's Superman. Okay. When we did the first Superman, it was the first time that we saw somebody fly, that we really believed that that was flight. And so, yeah, they did hone on it a little bit, probably longer than it needs to be. When you watch it now, yeah, there's a lot of him flying around, and you're not, you don't know why that's important. Well, it was important because it was the first time. Uh, the Tobey Maguire one was really big on Spider-Man swinging and getting all those poses. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it was cool, but it does leave something kind of lacking as you go on. One of the things I loved about this film was they didn't worry about that as much. He does do a ton of swinging around, but they weren't so worried about the perfect poses. There's actually times where he's swinging, he'll come to the ground, he spins. Like he's not perfectly swinging right. That's awesome. (laughs) You know, he'll land on the ground and roll or whatever. And they also were very smart in in making it be 
Peter Parker. And one of the big things for that is that Peter... Peter could have everything if he just didn't care. Mm. But because he cares, a lot of the times he runs into a bad luck situation, and it always has to be a bad luck situation. Mm. So, for for instance, in this one, there's a point where he doesn't have anything to swing on. Mm. And so he winds up landing on this golf course. Mm. But it can't just be that he landed on the golf course. He has to start running, and then the sprinklers come on. <laughs> you know, it's, it's always stuff like that. Or he'll swing, and it... Uh, it'll be just low enough that he hits the fence instead of going over the fence. You yeah. know? It's, it's always things like that, and that's such a Peter Parker thing. That's cool. Even in one of the biggest heroic moments of him saving something, the things that he grabs onto break, or the lines break, and he has to do something else, because you know, it's Peter's luck. Because that cool. stuff is always going to kind of work out bad for him. But if there's one like iconic pose that they got right in this film, better than I think I've ever seen it in all the other films... It's him kind of hanging upside down with his feet grabbing the webs. Mm. Oh, yeah. And, like, grabbing other things. But they do it so well, you don't even think that you're about seeing it. That's cool. It's just it's just there, and it's not until later that you're like, oh, that's the thing that Spider-Man does, like, all the time. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty pretty impressive. Yeah. Like, and all the, all the Easter egg stuff is really cool, too. And like yes. I was saying earlier in the show with Donald Glover, like, whether it's a throwaway name for the character or not, it's hard to say, I mean, but as far as, like, set up for Easter eggs, that's a pretty good Easter egg for that character. I, mean, I don't I don't know if I should give the Easter egg or not, because I want to, real bad. Honestly, I think you should, because, I mean, they don't they don't really mention it in the film. Well, I mean, they mentioned the name drop him, and that's the closest mm-hmm. you get to it, unless you know the name. So Alan Davis is who, he's the character that is being played by right. do mention that. Um, Don Glover, and... When he first shows up, if you know who Donald Glover is, you're like, why is there a famous guy in this scene? Because Donald, he's kind of famous, depending on where you've seen him or not. Granted, if you've never seen him, it doesn't matter. But the name drop alone leads to a character in the comic books that is the Prowler. And then in his second encounter with Spider-Man, he mentions that his nephew lives in the area, which his nephew is another lean towards Miles Morales, because Donald Glover's character, Alan Davis, is the uncle of Miles Morales. Depending on what universe you're in. Current universe has to be the same, too, because that's the only way it makes sense. But, as far as, like, a lean, like, that's pretty impressive setup. As, even if it's just a throwaway, awesome. That's cool. I mean, connects everything in a weird kind of, like, I don't know, I don't know like, small city-style way. But I thought that was really pretty cool. I mean, there's other ones in there, too. That one just happens to be, like, it's, one it's, that I didn't see coming. It's easy enough to miss yeah. if you're not a big Spider-Man Easy enough fan. to miss, yes. Because, I mean, there's other name drops, too, of different different villains, Gorgon. and uh, there's, there's, there's plenty of other Easter eggs in there. But I just thought that one was really cool simply because of the connection between the two different Spider-Men. Yeah. For the comic book world, at least. And th- this is just... Because I gotta say it, because I it kept sticking with me, and, and just I left the theater going like, "Oh God, how smart are these guys?" Um, there's there's a couple of PSAs in there from Captain America, right? And they were so clever as to actually have Captain America in the Avengers One costume for the PSAs, which was I know it sounds like a small thing, but it. it makes so much sense, because that's the only time that it would have made sense for him to be doing that. Right. You know, when you look at the current climate of the rest of the story, and they even actually make comments about the climate of the rest of the stories, and why, you know, 
is it okay that we're having PSAs from CAP? Whatever the government says, I have to do it. <laughs> you know, um, but I thought it was so smart. Yeah. And I thought it was so smart to have him in that costume. Because somebody was really, really watching their timelines, even for something that was kind of a throwaway. Right. Which is really pretty cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, the setup wise, they did a really good job putting it together. I only have one complaint with the whole movie, and I'm going to say it to myself, so I guess if you come into the okay. store or whatever, you can ask me about it. Okay. But as far as, like, complaints, there's only one, and that's pretty good for me, because I'm complaining, complaining monkey. Well, there, there was a couple of things that I thought could have, could have really tore down the film, and I thought they did just enough of it to make it work. Right. But if you're, if you're on the fence for some reason about seeing Spider-Man Homecoming, just go. Yeah, for sure. It's it's really really well done. Yeah. The, the support cast that they put around Pete is really good. There's some interesting changes that they make to that, but for the most part, like I feel like they helped the film. And it's honestly, definitely a good flick. I mean, as far as building, yeah, there's some casting that's weird. Yeah, but, but uh, as far as like that's just the comic book side of me being like it's weird. Movie side of it's fine. Yeah, but uh, Michael Keaton. Oh, yeah. Knocks God. it out. Amazing. Holy nice. cow. Like, Holy crap. I don't yeah. think anybody was worried about that. No, well, he was a great, he's a fantastic actor, but man, he's just amazing in this. Well, I mean, and it was such a smart choice to go no Green Goblin, no Venom, you know, let, let's go with kind of these smaller guys that we haven't done, and especially ones that we haven't even touched in any of the films that we've done so far for Spider-Man. Right. But, I mean... Yeah, you can ask the question all day, like, how do you make the Vulture interesting? Well, they figured it out. And not yeah. only did they make him interesting, they made him super deadly. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, just just really good, smart thinking. So I'm I'm excited to see what the next idea for, for Spider-Man is going to be. I'm almost, if this is like one of the first times I'm kind of going, oh, gosh, I'm almost sad that the next big thing is going to be Infinity War. Because I would like to have another Spider-Man film first. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. What can you do? Yeah. It's not going to end with Infinity War. It's just no. But that's the next like giant thing happening. Yeah. At least the Spider-Man's supposed to be in. So uh, the rating would you give it? Wrong? Yeah, yeah. Score-wise. Uh, you know what? I I'm really bad because I I almost don't ever want to give anything a five because I mean that's the top, right? Yeah. Right. But I think this gets a five. I. Was nice. really really impressed with it. I, I felt like they did such a great job of it. I love the direction choice. I love the acting in it. I love how smart the film was. I love how they put the kind of Easter eggs that they did into it, and how clever those Easter eggs are. Um, I think it all ties together really well, and I, I love that we got Happy Hogan back in it. So nice. <laughs> <laughs> so like, yeah, I, I give it a five. I think I think it was real well done. Nice. That's awesome. Awesome. Um, uh, uh, well, along with Rob, I don't like giving anything higher than a. I'll give it four and a half because I don't feel like there's a higher score really. I mean, <laughs> there, there. I have one complaint, and that's yeah. it not. That's just me being a weirdo because like the stuff with the cameos. The cameos are great. Yeah. I mean, there's a second cameo at the end that I'm like, I never thought we'd see again. Awesome. Nice. So like that being in there made my day. Awesome. Movie wise, great, fun. Smart, uh, the way it fits together is ama- is amazing. Like uh, castings, like I said, there's a couple casting pieces I think are weird, but the rest of them are great. Nice. So and they're just weird because it they don't match the comic, and that's that doesn't kill things. So yeah, I give it a four and a half. I think it's it's fantastic. 
as far as movies are concerned. It's yeah, it's 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 really really good. Like Holland is he's an awesome Spider-Man. Like yeah. at this point, I don't think you could have cast a better kid. I mean, he's he's really great. Nice. He's awesome. Believably humble when he's supposed to be humble. Believably scared when he's supposed to be scared. Yeah. Believably badass when he's supposed to be badass. So. Yeah. Well, and then they had that just perfect homage. So it's one of the iconic Spider-Man covers in the film that just, it was amazing. You'll have to see it. When you see it, you'll know it if you're a big Spider-Man fan. If you see it and you go, I don't know what you're talking about, come in and I'll I'll try to explain it to you. (laughs) Right on. Uh, So Ross, want to tell me a story about Castlevania? (laughs) It's a game and a thing. No, no, no. About the show. (laughs) Well, um, just today... They put out the Castlevania show on Netflix. Uh, it's only four episodes right now, 20 minutes long each, but it is a pretty dang awesome adaption of a video game. Like, I would say it's the best video game adaption of anything I've ever seen, ever. Um, it's being headed up by Warren Ellis. He's doing a lot of the writing for it, and he's done a lot of comic book writing. Oh, yeah. A whole batch of Moon Knight stuff, and... He's got a plethora of other things he's written, too. Yeah. And I think he worked on the last G.I. Joe cartoon, too. He worked on one of them. Not the most recent. Uh, most recent was... Uh, man, I, I know the name of this, and I don't remember the name of it. It's not Resolute, is it? No, Resolute's the one he did. Okay. Yeah, Resolute okay. the, is the one that he did do. And if you haven't seen Resolute, you really should, because it's fantastic. Yeah, even if you don't care about G.I. Joe. Resolute. Yeah, definitely nice. worth watching. And I should Renegades was the other one. Renegades came afterwards. Renegades okay. is fun, too. But it's not the same tone. Resolute is, is awesome. Renegades is, is good too, but not the same tone. Not the same caliber. No. no. So, I shouldn't know this other guy's name, but I can't remember it for the life of me right now. It's the guy that did the like Dark Power Rangers trailer, oh. like the, the not the official thing. But yeah, like, yeah, the movie, the the pre, the yeah, the movie trailer with the. Uh, the chick from uh, Bazaar Galactica and Dawson's Creek, Dawson. Yeah. Whose name's that? I can't remember either, which is not good. <laughs> That's okay. Anyways, I should remember his name because I've seen it like over and over again recently. But they both did. I mean, Warren Ellis wrote it. He produced it. Frederator Studios is the studio behind um, like the production as a whole. And they worked on Adventure Time most recently, which is kind of hilarious. Comparing it to this is it's totally, totally different. Um, this is like the most like mature animated thing I think I've ever seen ever. And it's crazy because it's Castlevania, which is, you know, the old NES game that you used to play. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a story about Castlevania 3. And the story behind Castlevania 3 is it's Trevor Belmont going up to face Dracula. And in the game, he finds three other, like, kind of sidekick characters. But they build a crazy backstory for all the sidekick characters in this. Um, you also get kind of the story that, even though he's a vampire hunter, the church is kind of blaming him for blaming his family for the vampires being there in the first place. Um, and so you get kind of this weird, like, religious story going on with it too and, and it, of the time period it's like it takes place during 1450 to 1475 era 
So when the church was a big thing and, you know, probably weren't doing all the right things at that point in time. Uh, yeah. Catholic conspiracy style. The, the show's awesome because it builds off a lot of the characters from the game that you might not have gotten a lot of story from. I mean, the game it's based off of was an NES game. You got your entire story from the manual yeah. before it. So, right. Uh, it does have Alucard, who shows up in it towards the end. And Alucard is the son of Dracula that goes against him. And when he shows up, he shows up exactly like his Symphony of the Night style. Oh, that's cool. Okay. And it's pretty awesome. He's got a giant long sword, and yeah, he just, uses his teleportation awesome. powers. And yeah. It's way cool. Uh, the tone of the show, like I said, is very mature compared to other things. There's, It's probably the goriest show I've ever seen, ever. Not just animation, but like, hmm. just in general. It's pretty out of control. You never saw the Demon Boom, did you? No. You're better off. <laughs> Go or on. Did. Or what? Brain did. Brain did wasn't animation. No, but I mean, this is like... Just in general, in though. General. I mean, like, I think... Once you guys see it, you'll be pretty amazed at what they did with some stuff in there. Nice. Um, That's what I like. My only real complaint, there are two two complaints I have with the show, is they didn't use a lot of the monsters from the game. So, like, I was kind of expecting to see a lot of, like, skeletons and zombies and, like, stuff at, towards the start of the show, because those are the things you get at the start of most of those games. And instead, you just mainly get, like, these crazy demon monsters going after everything. Um, you do get a Cyclops in there, which is cool. They actually, like, recreate a boss fight from the game in the TV show. Oh, that's super cool. Which okay. is awesome. Nice. Um, and then they didn't use any of the old music at all. That's and there weird. was kind of some parts where I was, like, expecting... Like, I wouldn't expect them to just use the game's soundtrack, obviously, but I could see throwing references, because it's such an iconic soundtrack. Well, yeah, you think throwing little winks at it at least. Nothing but. else, backgrounds. And then how short it was. It was only a four four episode, twenty minute long thing. I got to the last one and thought something was wrong with my Netflix. I thought for sure there had to have been more of it. Um, the animation's really good. The story's really cool though. Definitely worth checking out. Sweet. Ross said he watched it all this morning when they released it this morning. Yeah, I'm a busy boy today, Ross. I watched it at four in the morning this morning before I went to work, <laughs> yeah. and I got halfway through it again tonight. And I plan on watching it at least one more time in the near future. So, well, yeah, there you go. Now, I I understood there was some fan fear before it came out mm. about some of the story elements. Did that get cleared up at all? Yeah, the, I mean, the story there there are a couple. There's. A couple of characters they kind of do a few different things with. I honestly didn't even notice until I went back and saw what other people were kind of talking about with it there. Okay. As far as the general story of Castlevania Three being portrayed in this four-episode thing so far has been spot on, pretty much. They've added a lot of like cool details into it, like with the Belmonts clash with the church, which is also the government. Anyway. That, that kind of stuff wasn't there before, but it helps build out the character of the Belmonts and Sypha Belmades? Brennades? I don't remember her name. It's too bad. <laughs> She's like my favorite character in that game. But anyways, yeah, they build all three and Alucard and Dracula. Dracula, you actually feel sorry for at the start. It's kind of a weird... 
Like, it's hard to put him as the bad guy because of what happens to him at the very start of the show. So oh, that's cool. Hmm. Nice. And, like, designs, they all look like what you expect them to look like, too. Like I said, Alucard looks like the Symphony of the Night version that you played as. That's cool. And Trevor Belmont looks like you would expect Trevor Belmont to look. Um, he's a little bit funnier than I would have expected him to be. Like, you never really heard him <laughs> have dialogue before. Right. And he's he's kind of like a Han Solo-y type character. That's pretty cool. awesome. Nice. Guys, I mean, when you go back to NES or Super NES... There was a lot of games that and people just take for granted that they just didn't have the kind of capacity for story mm-hmm. that we do now. Mm-hmm. So these think these games like were really bare bones to start mm-hmm. with. Yeah, so, like like I said, a lot of it comes straight from the manuals that you would get with the game. Right. And there's not much there, but I would say even this show follows that manual pretty much. Like you could fit awesome. everything there into that. So that's cool. Heck yeah. Raja, a score for that show, for score on the show? I would give it a four and a half. Nice. Out of five, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just wish it was a little bit longer. If, it right. was, if, well. it was, if there was a couple more episodes in this first season, yeah. my other complaints probably wouldn't even exist. So mm-hmm. That's a good point. Well, the tricky thing is, uh, you know, if, if, if you're a fan of animation, especially Western animation, watch it and, mm. and make sure you get out there and, and say what you think about it. Because Western animation is really expensive. Yeah. You know, and that's probably the only reason that it's that short. And, you know, I'm not sure. I know it's like a Western company. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it, it's... Well, well, they probably farm out their work everywhere. And, and it is but, like an anime style. It's like an American anime style, as far as the style of the animation, too. But, right. But, yeah, yeah. Just a, but, yeah, but, I mean, animation that comes anywhere in the West is oh. incredibly expensive. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how they do it in other countries, but mm-hmm. for us, it's, it's out of control. So, And I think that's why it is so short, too, is because they wanted to test it out before they just went full in on doing sure. an animated show like that. So uh, That makes sense, I guess. All right. Uh, well, so now we've uh, cussed and discussed Spider-Man and Castlevania. We'll run an interview from the uh, Denver Comic-Con 2017. And this, uh, this interview is uh, with Mr. Frank Cho. Uh, so I hopefully hope you guys enjoy. I don't know. I thought it was fun. So. Hi, right, this is Steve. It's Top 5 Comics Podcast the Denver Comic Con 2017. I'm here with... Frank Cho. All right, and Frank, normally I see you in San Diego, buddy. So you got over to the mountain. What do you think of Colorado? Has you been here before? Uh, this is the first time since uh, in uh, 17 years. Oh, man. Yeah. I was here 17 years ago visiting uh, my ex-wife's family. Oh, well. Yeah. That makes for better memories, though. Good. Yeah, well, nice. it's, it's all it's, good. It's fine. All right. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, um, like most recently, people have been seeing your art showing up on the front of the Harley Quinn variant covers. What else are you working on, buddy? Got something else going on? I am still working on Skyborne at Boom Studios. Uh, I'd like to hear. Issue number four is going to come out this week. Uh, I'm actually in my hotel room working on issue number five. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm trying to play catch-up right now. No, no, well, it happens. It happens to say the trade solicits. I want to say showed up last month. (laughs) Well, you know, it happens. It happens. It happens. 
Oh man, like other than just like Prince and work and stuff. I mean, are you looking forward to any more Liberty Meadows stuff or no? Yeah, I mean, uh, Sony had the rights to it for a while, and I got it back uh, a few years ago, and I've just been sitting on it. Uh, like I said, it's just I got so much stuff on my plate right now. It's just finding time to uh, bring Liberty Meadows back. Right, right. But it is coming back. Okay. Uh, we look, I look for, I look forward to it. Right. Fantastic, man. Thank you. When did you decide that, that this is what you wanted to do, comics? Like, is there a point where you're like, that's what I'm going to do? And I was called, yeah, it was fifth grade. Fifth, fifth grade, I started collecting comics. That's when I decided I want to do, I want to become a comic book artist or a book illustrator. Yeah, roughly the same thing. Right. Right on. So, well, at that age, did you have, who did you follow? Like, who, was, who did you look, like, art-wise, who did you follow? Uh, a lot of classic guys, classically trained guys, uh, like... Uh, Al Williamson, uh, Frank Frazetta, uh, okay. John Basema, uh, Don Newton, who, who was doing Batman at that time, oh, um, and then a lot of painters. Uh, my taste in art is just wide, so I was casting a very wide net. Uh, sure. uh, and uh, from like fifth grade on, I mean, I, actually middle school, like uh, seventh and eighth grade, that's when I got most of the uh, uh, education, you know, just. You know, self-education, just reading and just copying other people, trying to figure out how they did it, stuff sure. like that. So that's when I really start absorbing a lot of the uh, art techniques and uh, and the style and uh, and the anatomy, you know, and stuff like that. Right, right. Well, yeah, you recently put out, well, fairly recently, put out a uh, How to Draw book? Yeah. How, Kickstarter? Yeah. Drawing Beautiful Women. Yeah. Uh, through a Flask uh, publication. Nice. What's your go-to karaoke song? Jesus, I haven't done karaoke. Well, you had to pick a song. What song would you pick? Uh, probably show tunes. Show tunes? Yeah. <laughs> I listen to a lot of show tunes. And, and uh, actually, it's probably a Johnny Cash song because I listen to a lot of bluegrass and uh, Johnny Cash. All right, so Johnny Cash? Yeah. All right. So if you were stranded on a deserted island and you could take five things with you, things also being people, what five things would you take? Uh... I guess one would be MacGyver. That's a good choice. <laughs> MacGyver. A boat. <laughs> That's also a good choice. Uh, I mean, am I stranded there? Uh, in instance, at the beginning, yes. But if you have a boat, then I mean, it leads you to other options other people haven't had. So, right, say right. at the beginning, yes. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, probably like. Michelle Ryan, a bionic woman. That's yeah. a good choice. Uh, it's just been people, hasn't it? I guess I have to bring some food. Uh, you know, like a like a like a five year supply of food. Five year supply of food. That's good. One more, buddy. Uh, and uh, and water. And a that's drink, a good choice. Drinkable water. Water, pure, water purifier. Yeah, that's fine. All right. Yeah. It's good. I think it's good choices. Michelle yeah. Ryan's a good choice. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's the last one. If you lived in Fantasyland, would you ride a chocolate pony? No, because like once it starts getting hot, you'll they start melting and you'll get stuck there, and uh, you'll have you know like chocolate going all over the place, all the exactly. cracks and crevices. You That's know, very good choice, sir. Yeah. Very good choice. Yeah, yeah. All right, thanks for taking time with us, man. Thank you. It. This has been a very weird interview, but thank you. <laughs> I want to thank, thank Frank again for taking time to sit with us a little bit and chit chat, take some time out of his day, you know, and sell and whatnot in order to entertain me with jokes and 
had I had a my new one of one of our other sidekicks along with me that day, Joel, which I don't I don't actually remember if Joel shows up in the interview at all or not, and he was there. And one of the funniest things about that is that Joel Joel managed to tell Frank how that he's old without actually calling him old. Frank's not really that old. But Joel's very young. So young Ross and you may lose your title to young Joel. Oh man. I know, right? Because well, Joel's standing there, and we're talking, and uh, me and Frank got on this got on the subject of <laughs> San Diego Comic Con, and uh, while we were talking about the years at San, different years at San Diego, Frank's like, "Yeah," and he, he said the first year he'd been to San Diego, and he's gone every year since. And Joel goes, "Wow, I was one years old," and we both sort of stopped and looked at Joel, and Frank's like, "What?" And Joel paused for a minute. You could see in his face trying to determine whether he was going to say it again or not. Because he'd realized what he said probably wasn't the best thing to say. And then he said it again anyway. <laughs> about, I was one years old. And Frank's like, oh, so you're saying I'm old. And I look, and he, then I look at Frank and he goes, he does it to me all the time. And Joel's like, yeah, he does. I do to him all the time. Like, somehow that makes it better. <laughs> but it was freaking hilarious. Nice. <sighs> yeah. Anyway. So, uh, Rob, what'd you learn today? I learned that uh, there can be PSAs about the virtues of patience. And that sometimes <laughs> you wait, and it's really worth it. And other times you wait, and it's, it's not worth it at all. That is absolutely terrible. And you wonder why. Why did I wait so long? It's, man, that's terrible. <laughs> uh, Alright, uh, Ross, what'd you learn today? No, I've learned that you can have sympathy for Dracula. Even though he puts people on giant human toothpicks, that's that is a hard thing to do, sir. Yeah, <laughs> on human toothpicks, that is also bad, but for different reasons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Rob, what did I learn today? You learned that even if you screwed the pooch hard, you should take it to a clinic so that you can have your human pooch hybrid. You do the right thing. That is uh, that is really really bad <laughs> for other reasons also. Man, that was a... I don't know if those are good things to learn or not. I mean, sympathy, I guess, is a good thing. Patience <laughs> is a good thing. I don't know about the animal thing. That's not such a good thing to learn. You gotta do the right thing. That's true. You really probably should. And sometimes your analogies are not great. That's probably <laughs> what I really learned. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, with that out of the way, wow. Huh. Uh, <laughs> got some books to watch? Anybody? Ross? Superman's awesome. Is that a book or is that no? Super Just Superman. in general, but the Superman book <laughs> is awesome. Dude. All jokes, Ross. All jokes. Super Sons is still going. That's really good. Mm. I've been happy with uh, X Men Gold. Generation X is actually doing better. So if you heard the review on that before, it's it's not a lost cause. Keep an eye out on that. Um, What they they just rolled out uh, Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe again, so. So when the second seed was that Asian yeah. one came out this M- last week. Maybe worth checking out on that. Uh, you know, surprisingly, we haven't talked about it in a while, but Doctor Strange has be- continued to be really, really strong as a title. So that's definitely one to keep an eye out for. Uh, along with that, of course, you know, Deadly Class, East to West, Black Science, and Birthright have all been fantastic. Um, it's kind of sad that we can kind of sort of see the end of The Walking Dead from here, but Walking Dead has been great, so. 
I don't think there's actually an end coming for it. That's what the rumor mill says. Yeah, well, we'll see. Mm. We'll see. I, I like his first pitch, which is, you know, hey, as long as you're reading it, I'm going to keep riding it. Yeah. That's what I like. We'll, so, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully that's uh, hopefully that's the pitch Robert's actually all about. We'll see. Um, Kirkman, I guess I should say. I don't know. His, I'm not his first name basis. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. Um, okay, well, let's see. Other than Elsewhere, which I highly recommend, obviously, where the short story started. Um, there's another one come out from Image uh, called Realm. And it's uh, Seth Peck uh, that's doing the writing for it, and Jeremy Hahn. So Jeremy Hahn uh, first met him out in Nebraska, like, I don't know, seven years ago. No, four or five years ago. He uh, did a lot of stuff for uh, Darkness uh, and the Darkness video game. And uh, the comic book Beauty, he did artwork on it too. And it's uh, it's a setup of a wasteland world five years down the road after mythical creatures showed up. And, uh, of course, it's the world sort of went to hell. So, uh, pretty stoked for that one. Title for it is Realm. Uh, I think that'll be awesome. Uh, and then we're going to have a Return to Big Trouble in Little China, which is a Big Trouble in Little China, Old Man Jack, which I don't necessarily know if I am a real huge fan of the title. I get where they're going. Old Man Logan, Old Man Jack, y- you know. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I, I like the first series. I'll give you the middle of it. There's a little too much of uh, All in the Reflexes, which I think they toned down after, after that. But book-wise, I mean, it's... It's credited to John Carpenter and Anthony Birch, so I'm interested oh, to see neat. how much of it is actually Carpenter, and whether it's an adaption of a of filming meant to do that's been adapted by Birch, or what exactly they're doing. So I'm interested in that, just simply because I am a big fan of Jack Burton, and uh, Big Trouble in China on top of that. So I think both those would be awesome. Nice. I think that's all I got suggestion-wise from that run-of-mill nonsense. But uh, that's not the right way of describing that. No. From that. That's, that's that, the only Those suggest- amazing new creations. Yeah, there you go. That's all I've got from the amazing new creations and books. Things. Yes. Words. Anything else? Lads? No. no. no? I, I am feeling fairly tired. Tiki. 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 Tiki.